for how his children are to achieve fullness. That is, um, we are speaking about victorious Christian living. In our last study, we looked at um, what the life of uh, Joshua, what the lesson that it teaches us. And we saw what God did in and through his life, uh, a life that was totally uh, yielded to him. Uh, Joshua knew and accepted the ministry that God gave him. He knew the vision, the purpose, and destiny to which God called him. And he got into action. Amen. He didn't waste any time, but fully followed the Lord. And we said that this exemplifies the life of a believer who knows that Jesus is alive, that he is powerful, and he's able to live his life through us. And as we mentioned in previous studies, this is wonderful. It's essential for us to come to that place to, yes, indeed know that God has called us to a purpose. However, for this to happen, there are things that we must put in place in our lives. Uh, first, we have to embrace the kingdom, God's kingdom and the principles by which it operates, which means that there are certain things that have to do with who we are in Christ and others that deal with what we do. And, and um, you know, how proficient, proficient, sorry, and um, successful we are in what we do will depend on who we are. And so the focus must first be in developing who God created us to be. In other words, he wants us to be in the image of Christ. And this journey starts knowing what the word of God says about it and following through by being doers of the word. And so developing uh, Christ-likeness um, starts by get, being serious and getting into action to overcome the flesh. So today we are going to look at how indeed we can overcome the flesh. And the opposite of uh, walking in the flesh is walking in the spirit. Um, and it, you know, it is going to take just that, that is overcoming the flesh. If we are to be part of the church that Jesus is coming for, um, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter five and verse 26, Ephesians chapter five and verse 26 tells us that Jesus is coming back, amen. Um, let's look at maybe verse 27. Um, 
that Christ is coming back for a church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Hallelujah. So Ephesians 5, verses 26 to 27. Let me go ahead and read those two verses. That he, that is Jesus or God, might sanctify and cleanse it, that is the church, with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So Jesus wants to present to himself a church that is glorious. Amen. He's coming back for such a church. And so in order for us to live uh, such overcoming life, we need to make sure, first of all, that inwardly we are set apart for God, meaning that we are in a constant mode of being transformed by his word. We are transformed by the spirit. We are becoming more and more Christ-like. And secondly, that we are led by the Holy Spirit in every area of life. Amen. Um, men's problem with the carnal nature dates back to the fall in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the judgment of God then against the devil was that God told him that he will, should eat dust. Amen. We find that in Genesis 3 and verse 14. But we also notice that in verse 19 of Genesis 3 that God also said of men that you are dust. Amen. So we see two things here. Number one, that the devil will eat dust. And secondly, that man is dust. And so the essence of our carnal nature, of all that is carnal, that is in nature, is dust. And the connection here is that Satan feeds upon our earthly, upon our carnal nature of dust. Whatever, you see, for the believer, whatever we withhold from God is what Satan feeds on. And therefore, we need to recognize that the immediate source of many of our problems and, and oppressions in life, uh, the source is not so much demonic but it is fleshly in nature because we are not fully surrendered in various areas of our lives. And we have to content, contend with the fact that one aspect of our life, our flesh nature, will always be targeted by the devil. See, this will stop only when we are no longer in this flesh. Amen. When we've gone on to be home with the Lord. But as long as we are walking in this place, in, in this earth, we have a flesh nature which will be targeted by the devil. And so we are told by, um, you know, in the word of God, that the, 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 the solution to this is that we have to learn to crucify the flesh. Fleshly areas in our life supply 
the enemy that is Satan with uh, an avenue, a ready avenue or an access to undermine our spiritual walk, to undermine uh, our prayers, to neutralize our walk with God. Therefore, our calling is to overcome the fleshly nature and to walk in the spirit. Amen. Now, the Bible tells us when we speak about uh, the carnal nature or the, the, the flesh, what exactly are we talking about? Well, it's easy to, to see the, the fruits of the carnal nature. Um, the, the flesh manifests itself through undisciplined emotions, through um, impure desires, uh, through negative or perverted thoughts that we allow to have uh, free reign in our lives. Uh, let's go ahead um, and turn to Galatians chapter five. Um, and we are going to see how the flesh manifests itself. It, you know, it's, this is a list of the various works of the flesh in Galatians chapter five, um, verses 19 to 21. I'm going to read um, from the amplified version. Uh, it's a bit easier to understand, at least for me, um, the wording here. Galatians chapter five, verses 19 to 21. Now the doings or practices of the flesh are clear, obvious. They are immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, or ill temper, selfishness, divisions, or dissensions, party spirits, that is factions, sex with peculiar opinions, heresies, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Now it's essential for us to note that this is not a letter written to unbelievers. It is to the church of Galatia. So in other words, a letter addressed to believers. And later on um, in this study, we're gonna speak about a particular problem that um, Paul had to um, correct in the church of Ephesus which had to do with walking in the flesh, amen? Though sometimes we might not, uh, as Christians, you, you, we may say to ourselves, well, I'm not involved in, in uh, sexual immorality. I am not involved in, uh, let's say, um, you know, indecency or sorcery. But the question is, are uh, are we walking sometimes, or have we found ourselves acting in, in strife, being selfish, um, or having a party spirit? 
or involved in gossip. All these things are works the way the flesh manifests itself. And the Lord goes on to say at the end there, verse 21, he says, I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. So in, in its utmost expression, the fleshly nature uh, speaks of the coming together of an individual's body and soul to act independently from God. Amen. And so that independence, what it does is that it, op is, is that it opens the door to sin, which ends up dominating the person, sinking him into um, slavery, guilt, and condemnation. And the enemy will always attack uh, you know, our life, if he discovers that the fleshly nature is active, if he sees that there is something in our life to which we have allowed him legal access through disobedience or through rebellion. And so we need to reach a point where we can say of Satan as Jesus did. In John chapter 14 and verse 30, Jesus made that statement. He says, the prince of this world cometh but he has nothing in me, amen. And we need to come to that place because again, as we saw earlier in Ephesians chapter five, verses 26 and 27, that the Lord is coming back for a glorious church, amen. So we have to arrive to that place where we can um, honestly say of our, personal life that Satan may come, but he has nothing in us. You see, it is only the non-crucified flesh, which is always an open door to the enemy and to his uh, cohorts, to, to, in other words, to Satan and his demons. You know, the, the apostle Paul wrote um, again in the book of Galatians um, about what the Christian life truly is. And he's, he, he spoke about his, his own life, his own personal life. If we look at Galatians chapter two and verse 20, amen. I'm, I'm going to continue to read from the Amplified Version in Galatians chapter two and verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. In him, I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, that is by adherence to and reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. See, this is Paul's declaration of death to the sinful nature. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen. And this is the key to overcoming the fleshly nature. The, the, the condition of being crucified with Christ must be a reality in our lives. And, you know, it is a fact that when the carnal self dies, 
the new man which has been resurrected with Christ can be fully in control, it can, ruling over the, our soul, in other words, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and over our body, which will progressively obey the spirit more each time. Amen. So being crucified with Christ does not mean that uh, our personality is going to disappear. No, rather it means that we are dead to sin and to our old ways of doing things that are contrary to God's ways and that we now live according to our new man, which has been recreated in Christ Jesus. It has been raised with Christ. So crucifying, in crucifying our flesh, we submit uh, our will to God rather than ruling ourselves. We are not on the throne of our life. We allow God to have first place. And so it is no longer, uh, we no longer do what our sinful nature thinks or what our sinful nature wants or feels. We don't walk by the, our senses, but rather we choose to think what the Jesus's thoughts, amen. Um, we, we think what Jesus thinks, we want what he wants, amen. And we allow ourselves by the Holy Spirit to feel what he, what he feels. And, and this is why Paul says, and the life, that last part of Galatians 2.20, he says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. Hallelujah, living by faith in the Son of God. So Paul is making that statement that this is what his life is all about and our life can be the same. It is available to us right now. And, but for it to be a reality in the now, the carnal self must be crucified. Unfortunately, then, when he wrote this, and even now, uh, this verse is merely theory for many believers, and it is not part of their actual experience. You see, um, the, the flesh dominates those for whom this is just merely theory, so that little or no transformation occurs in their lives. So legally in the spiritual realm, Jesus has redeemed us. That is the born again Christian. Uh, but his work, that is the work of Jesus will um, remain solely as potential um, until we make a decision to reject the flesh and to live according to the life of Christ and to daily experience uh, transformation. Uh, you know, there are many people uh, in the body of Christ who try to believe for, uh, you know, to see the supernatural uh, hand of God. They are believing God for healing, for miracles, for supernatural provision and other blessings uh, in the now. However, they are unable to 
experience these blessings because they have not yet crucified the flesh. Um, you see, where the carnal self is not yet crucified, we are going to see manifestations of the works of the flesh. And like we spoke earlier, uh, I mean, we read from Galatians chapter five, and um, just to quickly remind us, you know, for example, jealousy, envy, unforgiveness, which is a big one, anger, gossip, sexual immorality, substance abuse, you know, selfishness, pride, etc. cetera. Um, do you know that I was surprised to hear that um, many people, um, and a, a very high percentage of people in the body of Christ do not believe that um, having um, sexual um, encounters um, prior to, you know, outside of marriage, that it, it, they don't believe that it is a sin. They believe that it is totally acceptable. And so my question is, which Bible are they reading? Um, but it is so easy to walk in the flesh and then to try to justify ourselves and then trying to change the word of God to make it say what we want it to say. Um, and so it really takes the crucifying of our carnal self, amen. And, um, and, and when that happens, where the carnal self is crucified and Christ lives within us, amen, we give him first place. We, we allow him to be God in his temple. As he said, I will walk in them. I will dwell in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then it is then that we see manifestation of God's kingdom here and now. You see, the kingdom of God is in righteousness. Hallelujah. It is in peace. It is in joy in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. That's stated in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. But you see, there are many people who would love the peace and who would love the joy, but they would not want to uh, go for the very first thing that is listed there, which is righteousness. Amen. So it is essential to understand that living according to the flesh has serious consequences. And um, one very, uh, one of those serious consequences, I would say, is that uh, when we walk uh, in our carnal nature, we expose ourselves to the demonic, to demonic powers. You see, the Bible says, do not give place to the devil. Amen. It, that's um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and to 20, 27. Yes, Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says that we are to, you know, we are not to give place to the devil. We are to submit to God. We are to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Amen. We are not to let the sun go down on our wrath. Amen. Though we are allowed to be angry, he says, be angry, and, but sin not. You see, there is a difference between being angry and sinning. And then he explained, let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil. Amen. So there is a point at which an individual can cross the line between 
um, indulging in a work of the flesh and being oppressed by the operation of uh, an unclean spirit in that area of his life because he has left the door open to such an operation. And that line can be crossed by a repetition of a sinful act. And if the per a person regularly practices a particular work of the flesh, sooner or later he will be demonized. Whether we want it or not, um, this is what happens. You know, he who sows to the wind rips, the Bible says, the whirlwind. And, and so the only area in which the enemy can gain ground really is that in which the flesh has not been crucified. So one of the serious consequences as we see here is that walking in the flesh will expose us to demonic powers. The second consequence is that uh, the power of the flesh then is multiplied when we indulge in uh, walking according to the carnal nature. The, you see, the, the, the anointing of God increases and multiplies only as we surrender to Christ and die to our carnal self. We can't expect for God's anointing to increase in our life and uh, while we are you know, doing things in our own way. Um, so the opposite effect also occurs. Uh, so when we fail to crucify the flesh, then its power increases and it begins to live for itself. So the more we allow it to do so, the more it will dominate us. Amen. Um, another, another serious consequence that um, so many people uh, you know, ex are, are, are experiencing in their life, but are not even aware that this is uh, part of the carnal nature is, um, you know, when people rely solely on their own strength, uh, on their skills, on their talents and wisdom, or well, money, of course, um, or their position, or even, you see how Satan can be deceiving? Some people believe in their own goodness rather than on God. Uh, you know, this is what Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse five says. He says, cursed is the man who trusts in men and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Amen. Cursed is the man who trusts in men and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. When a person's heart turns away from God, what happens, we see here, according to Jeremiah, that person falls into a curse. Amen. And um, the Apostle Paul addressed a similar situation in the second and third chapters of Galatians. Um, the Galatians, Galatian believers had started out living according to the spirit and God had moved among them with miracles, with signs, with wonders, so that the supernatural had become a lifestyle 
for them. But then what happened, the enemy is always looking for a door um, to, to, to take over. And um, he, some legalistic Christians came among the Galatians and persuaded them to rely on aspects of the Old Testament law for their righteousness rather than on faith and grace. Well, you know, somebody might say, well, how is this such a, 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 a horrible thing? Well, what happened is, as we just mentioned, when we put our trust on men rather than on God, then we open ourselves to a curse. Uh, in Galatians chapter three, uh, we see that uh, this led the Galatians to fall under the curse of, if you could call it, of self-reliance. And Paul asked them a question in the very first verse of chapter three. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Amen. You see that this is a strong word that he's using. They were bewitched, bewitched. Amen. And he says that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth and crucified among you. And so we see that when the members of the church of Galatia succumbed to living according to the law, this impeded the flow of the supernatural power of God in their lives. And they put themselves under a spirit to be bewitched by that spirit. But thank God, uh, Paul came along and uh, taught them, corrected them and taught them how to return to living by grace. And so these um, legalistic Christian who had come among the Galatians were obviously, um, we call them legalistic because they were living in legalism. Um, living, that is living according to the law. And this type of living affects people in significant ways because they focus on outward acts instead of inward transformation. And legalism is actually one of the, you know, uh, most, it's one of the biggest problems, stumbling blocks in, in the church. And uh, this mindset is an expression of carnality because it leads people to trust in their own ability to follow God's laws. Uh, the, the legalistic mindset focuses on outward acts um, and does not focus so much on inward transformation. And this is why we find so many uh, legalistic churches um, and, and in, you know, what they do is that they institute uh, rules for their members uh, that have nothing to do with the spirit of Christ. Um, for example, you would find such uh, rules as uh, your dress needs to be this long, uh, you know, almost touching your ankles, or you should not wear makeup, you should not dance, or you shouldn't, um, you know, have such certain types of hairdos. 
it's all focusing on the exterior or you don't wear jewelry, you don't do this, you don't do that. And uh, these churches may also even promote acts of obedience to God that are in line with scripture. Uh, and this is where it becomes deceiving because it's a blend of you know, legalism and spiritualism. And um, the, the bottom line is that the motivations that they encourage for carrying out those rules um, do not usually include, and this is very important, love. Amen. Loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. And um, it does not include thankfulness to God and a reliance on his grace, but rather it becomes a sense of obligation or fear of punishment um, and a striving after human perfection. Amen. And um, you see, when someone who is influenced by that legalistic spirit, um, uh, you know, that person tries to do what he believes will please God um, and not to do what um, he believes offends God. However, his outward behavior may deceive both himself and others because it, it, he might appear righteous, but it's really empty effort. So bottom line is every time a person tries to sanctify and justify himself before God solely by following rules, um, the only thing that this person pleases is his or her own ego. He's living in the flesh. And this is so subtle uh, because, you know, people fall under that spirit and they don't even realize that. They just believe, well, well this is right. This is what God, God wants me to live holy. God wants me, you know, to be righteous. God wants this. God wants that holiness unto the Lord. But that really has nothing to do with holiness. It is legalism. Um, because you see, the Bible says that if we want to be justified by living according to God's law, then we are going to have to, to keep all the 100% one, of all the laws perfectly. And actually, Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26 says that when we fail to do that, because that's what we believe in, then we, then we fall into a curse. Amen. So Jesus came and brought us grace so that we don't have to keep striving to live according to all these laws of the Old Testament. If we keep our eyes on him, his spirit in us, hallelujah, in operation in us, will lead us and guide us into all truth. And God's way of living, the, Jesus's um, heart will transform our heart, amen. And uh, we will not be, just counting rules, but we will be living out of love and thankfulness to God. Um, you see, there is a, Christianity brought a, a new way of, of living. It's a way of peace. It is a way of freedom. It is a way of life by faith and by grace. And Paul had 
to remind the, the, the Galatians in Galatians 3.11 that the just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. And even uh, to the Ephesians, he told them in Ephesians 2.8, um, yes, Ephesians 2 and verse 8, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Amen. And so, um, so what we need to understand is that legalism and carnality go hand in hand. And all the work someone does while in a carnal frame of mind, um, as good as those works might be, they are not accomplished for God, but rather for the purpose of satisfying the demands of the self. Amen. And so the Bible called these dead works. Amen. They have of no value to the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves the question, how many dead works are being you know, performed in the body of Christ on a daily basis? Um, so we have to come to the conclusion that it is impossible to reach perfection by using human effort and strength. Um, and even if perfection, such perfection could be reached, nothing in our carnal self can substitute the work of Jesus on the cross to cleanse us completely and to give us his righteousness. And when he died, he paid the price that our flesh never would and never could pay. It is settled. Amen. So these, again, are aspects of what it is to walk in the flesh and the consequences that it has on people's lives. Another serious consequence is that, uh, as we just saw there, it doesn't matter what kind of work we do, but we are unable really to please God because um, you know, the carnal nature, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 8, it says, cannot please God. So if we want to please him, we must make a decision to kill the works of the flesh and live by the spirit. Because the carnal nature cannot produce anything that would bring pleasure to God. We might be very religious, but we will never please the Lord while we are working in our own strength. It is not by power, it is not by might, but it is by the spirit of the Lord that we live our Christian life and we accomplish the works that he has called us to, amen. And then another very important thing about um, walking in the flesh is that it leads to death. You see, the final consequence of living according to the flesh is death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, uh, if we look at just a couple of verses um, above where we were, uh, we were in Romans 8, 8. Uh, if we look at Romans 8, 6, it says, to be carnally minded is death. Amen. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So one way or another, living according to the flesh leads to physical, uh, emotional, and or spiritual demise. In a you know, heart-rending passage of scripture, Paul called the rebellious nature 
uh, that he, he was referring to about, you know, this law that is operating in his members in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. He calls this this body of death. He says, I did, my spirit desires to do what is right, but there is this law that is warring in my members. And he called his body this body of death. So it's a lie to think that, you know, one can live in the flesh without suffering mortal consequences. And so the, the, the opposite of trusting in the flesh means that, you know, it, it is trusting in the supernatural grace of God, and which empowers us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Hallelujah. And so Paul concludes actually in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 5.16, and he tells them, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hallelujah. And walking in the spirit is that process by which we leave the fleshly nature be behind so that we can please God and live in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us um, on the cross. Jesus told his disciples that if anyone desires to, to come after him, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow him. Hallelujah. Um, actually, let's turn to that passage. It's found in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and um, 24. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Hallelujah, praise God. So we see here that we are told that we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Amen. It's not talking about um, losing our physical, you know, life or going, you know, physical death, but rather leaving the lie behind the life of the sinful nature that operates in a soul that is corrupted. And we must lose that old life in order to win the life of the spirit and follow after Jesus. So denying our flesh daily, notice the word daily, it's a necessity, amen. And Jesus won complete victory over sin. And it is a reality in the eternal realm that can, it, 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 it's done, it cannot be reversed. But until he returns and completely transforms us, we have to appropriate his victory and execute it in this, realm in this temporal realm on earth and uh, progressively making it a reality in our life. Amen. So every day that we wake up, we are to take authority in Jesus's name over our soulish realm, over the soulish realm that is our mind, our will, and our emotion. 
and order it to submit to the will of our new man in Christ Jesus. Because we are a new creation in Christ. This new man in us is called to live, hallelujah, led by the Holy Spirit. So we are to take authority over our mind, our will, and our emotions when, any, when, when what is going on in there contradicts the will of God and the word of God in order to submit to the will of our new man. We have that, that authority in us. So taking up one's cross actually is a personal decision. And God is not going to impose it on us. He says, you take up your cross and you follow me. Amen. Taking up our cross speaks of submitting to God anything in which our will crosses his will. My question is, how many times a day does that happen? It's constant. I'm sure I'm not only speaking for myself. It's all of us constantly, you know, thoughts are rising up, thoughts that want to rebel against God's thoughts in which our emotions are not aligned with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So for me to take up my cross is to voluntarily, um, vo voluntarily, sacrificially offer myself to God and choose to reject the operation of the fallen soul, which causes us to be separated from God. And so it is my choice to receive the eternal life of the spirit which brings me into un oneness, union or oneness with him. Hallelujah. And when I do that, then I am free to pursue the purposes of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So voluntarily, we have to choose to make no provis provision for the flesh and to, to fulfill the lust of the flesh, but to follow the spirit. Amen. In, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, Paul instructed the Galatians, he says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Amen. The King James reads, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Praise God. And so, it's, it's essential for us to understand just how far, uh, you know, the flesh would go to try to deceive us into um, doing its, you know, fulfilling its own lust rather than to obey God. But doing so would mean that we would not be able to pursue God and his purposes for our lives. And so the second thing that we have to do in learning to crucify the flesh is to exercise personal discipline and self-control. God, the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Again, amen. Hallelujah. Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven tells us that we have received a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. So the spirit that we have in us does not make us timid but rather it gives us power, the power to love, the power to be self-disciplined. Amen. 
And so um, we, because the, we have to be able to put the flesh under, amen. And God has given us the power to do that. And we have to understand that this is part of yielding totally uh, our being to God. Hallelujah. Um, you see, when we yield ourselves to God, we surrender our rights, all of our rights to him. Um, this includes the right, the quote unquote rights that the carnal self demands. And so yielding to, we have to yield to God, our unbelief, our fears, our doubts, our insecurities, our bitterness, um, our self-hatred, our weaknesses, and all, the, and all manifestations of the sinful nature. If we truly have it in our heart to yield to him, the Holy Spirit will highlight these areas of our lives where we are not there yet, and therefore that we can surrender to him. Praise God. Um, you know, we are told that Christ suffered for us in the flesh, that we no longer should live the rest of our life time in the flesh, but we are to live for the will of God. Amen. So we have to continually deny the flesh in each area until that thing, that particular sin or that particular desire to, to, to do contrary to God's will until it departs from us. And this, I know, can be a painful experience to endure. And, uh, but we only have two options. Um, and it is either crucifying the flesh the moment that we know that there is something in our life that doesn't please God, or we can go on, keep doing what is wrong, knowing that it is harmful to us and against God, God's will with the idea of pleasing our flesh, but only to you know, eventually realize that in order to spiritually stay alive, that we have to be willing to die to ourselves. Amen. And so when we don't obey God immediately and desire to crucify the flesh, then we end up causing much distress to our own life and wasting valuable time um, in which we could have served God in freedom. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, and so this all, you know, all of this boils down to choosing uh, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Uh, the surrendering of our life to God is continuous and progressive. Um, and it's a process in which we learn to yield to the spirit and to let God be God in his temple. You know, how many times have we been tempted, let's say, to retaliate when uh, we feel um, offended or, you know, wounded by somebody? We just want to, you know, walk in the flesh. We feel justified in doing what is wrong and um, becoming partners with that person um, in doing what is wrong. Because at that point, when we st start walking in the flesh, as we said, we open ourselves up 
to, to a demonic influence, to demonic even activity in our life. So the, the thing is, we have the power. The spirit of God has given us a spirit of love, of power, and of a sound mind to walk in the spirit, to live in the spirit. Hallelujah. Uh, which means that we are living according to a supernatural flow of the Holy Spirit, as, which is an expression of his relationship with us as children. Hallelujah. Um, if we look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, it tells us that for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Hallelujah. So can you imagine? We want to walk in the flesh, but yet uh, we choose to think our, ourselves all the while we're walking in the flesh as sons of God. Whereas scripture here tells us that it is those that are led by the Spirit of God that they are the Son of God. Hallelujah. You see, the supernatural transformation of the believer is based on an exchange of life. When we choose to decrease, then it is then that Jesus increases in us. There is an exchange that takes place. So indeed, there is a final challenge that we have to accept. Amen. And um, that there will be a certain amount of suffering when it comes to, you know, in regards to sin. But that means that we're going to suffer temporary death by denying sin while we're here on earth, while we're refusing to let it reign in our lives. Or we will suffer eternal death because we choose to maintain a lifestyle of sin during our time here. So this is the final challenge that is put to us. The Bible says that anyone who has the hope of the wonderful things that are to come of Jesus's return, amen, that person purifies himself as he is pure. So if we obey God, denying ourselves and taking our, our cross, we will receive the life of Christ, amen. Um, but if we choose to disobey him and continue to indulge, our flesh, we will be on, on the path, unfortunately, to everlasting death. So the question to us, I believe, is are we willing to lose our life? In other words, the operation of the sinful nature within us in order that we may gain the life of the spirit and be restored to God's ori original um, design for us? Are we willing to crucify the flesh daily? Are we willing to deny ourselves anything that we know displeases God? And here I'm talking about choosing to look at things from God's perspective uh, to make sure that our heart is in the right place, that is sincere, it is pure before God. It's, it's essential that both our actions and in particular our motives be good and upright. You see, the Bible says that God cannot be mocked, mocked. 
Amen. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall reap. God sees our heart. Amen. So everything that we do must be based on our being led by the Holy Spirit, who then we know is a walk of faith and of love towards God. So we are challenged today to think about the areas of our life that the enemy often attacks. Is it pride? Is it rebellion? Or even self-pity? The Bible tells us that there is a way in which we are to think of ourselves. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we cannot go around feeling sorry for ourselves. We have the nature of Christ in us. Hallelujah. And so even self-pity, which some people might think, you know, it's so holy. But no, it is carnality. And it is operating in fear. So the question is, are we still operating according to soulish motivation? And so the only way we have seen to overcome that old man is to place it on the cross of Jesus so that our new man who has been resurrected in Christ can govern our life. And the choice lies before each of us today. Say no to our flesh and yes to the life of the spirit is what we are called to do, to follow Jesus in both his death and his resurrection. Hallelujah. He is the resurrection and the life. He is only in him that we live and move and have our being. Praise God. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that where the presence of the Lord is, there is liberty. We thank you today for your grace that is at work in us, O oh Lord, to enlighten us and to transform us. We have received your word tonight. And in your word is the grace that empowers us to triumph over sin, to triumph over all the works and plans of the enemy and to arise and walk in righteousness and partake in the wonderful inheritance that you have given us. Father, we voluntarily choose to crucify our flesh and deny ourselves. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to lead us. We submit to your leadership. We willingly take up our cross and we follow Jesus. We declare that the old man does not control our life. We submit this old man, this carnal nature, to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and we receive his grace to live in righteousness before you, Father, and willingly choose to yield to your Holy Spirit, 
rather than to the carnal nature. Father, we thank you that as we do this, we will fulfill your plans and your purposes in our lives, but most importantly, our lives will be pleasing unto you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise for all that you have done and continue to do in us so that your name can be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to you who are able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of your glory with exceeding joy, to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power that works in us, to you, our God, be all glory, be all honor, be all praise now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I thank you for joining us tonight. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that you will join us again next week at the same time. God bless you and have a good night.